Hi, Pastor Anthony here. At Vintage Faith Church, we stand behind the Bible's claim to be the Word of God, and we believe that the Scriptures contain everything needed for life and godliness. The Scriptures testify to the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. We pray that this recording stirs your faith towards that end. This is in no way meant to be a substitute for the local church gathering, which we believe is critical to your growth as a Christian and your walk with Christ. We pray that you will find the sermon edifying and challenging. Thank you for listening. So if you've been with us, I know we have some visitors today. If you've been with us, we're in a series on the Ten Commandments. Um, and, and today is the, the seventh commandment. Believe me, this wasn't um, planned here to, to have the baptism and, and the seventh commandment on the the same day, and I'm not apologizing for the seventh commandment, but I know it can be um, tough. It's a tough word to our culture, our sex-influenced um, and um, just uh, in everything that we see on our, in, in our music and in, 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 on the television. It's just our, our culture is obsessed with this, and the Bible speaks to it definitively in a way that, that convicts everyone in this room. So we, uh, we had talked over the last uh, six, seven weeks about that there's three uses of God's law. Um, the first use is it shows us our sin. It's kind of like an x-ray machine. When we read God's law, we say, that, that's not me. Anyone that's being honest is going to say, that, that's not me. When I hear the law of God, I, I have transgressed that law. And that leads us to Jesus. And that is a good thing. The law leads us to Jesus. The law also restrains evil. And the law for the Christian is a light to our path. We delight in God's law. We love God's law. When I was uh, working in a, a former job, I was talking, I, I, I was in the process of coming to faith and excited about the Bible. And I remember talking to a guy that I worked with. And at the time, I, I was learning about marriage. And I was getting excited about marriage for the first time in my life. Don't get me wrong. I was married and I loved my wife. I just was learning about theologically, what does it mean to be married? And I was excited. And I can remember talking to this man. And he said, marriage is a human institution. It goes against human nature. Human beings naturally want multiple partners. We're designed not to be with the same partner. We naturally want multiple partners. Marriage is a repressive institution developed by men. At the time, I, I did not have a good response. Um, and maybe you're there today. Maybe that's some of you are just, I don't quite understand um, this marriage thing. Um, but put that on hold. We'll, we'll get into that. Uh, last week we looked at that men and women are made in the image and likeness of God. We are the only creation, you and me, that are made in the image and likeness of God. Your dog isn't in the image and likeness of God. God's beautiful creation isn't in his image and likeness, but you are, your friends are, your spouses, your children are. The person you work with that you can't stand, 
is. Human beings are made in the image and likeness of God. And, and at the fall, something happened, and sin enters the picture. And all of our, mi- our mind, our, our heart, our emotions, our body, we start misfiring, and, and we're not living it at, at this point. When Adam and Eve fall at, in God's um, design, in his original design. So everything begins to go haywire, and sex and passion is one of those things that from the beginning of time goes haywire. And if, if you're looking around and saying, hey, like I just said, that our culture is obsessed with it, well, if you were just a, a quick reading of the Bible and you will say they, they, they were a mess too. The beginning of time, this is where human beings, men and women, have gone wrong. But Exodus 20.14 says this, again in Hebrew, two words, You shall not commit adultery. You shall not commit adultery. And and the Hebrew reads, no adultery, not adultery. Um, In the most narrow sense, this law is about the protection of marriage. It's about the protection of the destruction that comes from a man and a woman who are married and one of them strays. But it does have a broader sense, and we're going to look at that as Kate read. Um, Jesus takes it, and and I think he gets to the spirit of what this law was all about. And says, even when we lust after someone of the opposite sex, we have violated this commandment. And like the other commandments that we looked at last week, um, and the week before, honor mom and dad. And what was last week? Who remembers? Don't murder. So both of those are punishable by death. We read about that in in both weeks, and it seems harsh, and um, it's no different for adultery. Leviticus 20.10 says this. If a man commits adultery with the wife of his neighbor, both the adulterer and the adulteress shall surely be put to death. So again, we've got this... This law, God's law, where it's like we, we can, in our modern 2023 sensibility, enlightenment minds, we're like, that's harsh. Really, death? But God takes the family serious. We looked at that over the uh, two weeks ago. He takes the family serious. Kids to honor mom and dad, and he wants mom and dad to be united And if if one of those partners is cheating or straying, um, the whole family is going to suffer because the family is God's design. It is the beginning for the school of learning about God. It is what he instituted to teach and to uh, nurture and for humanity to flourish. And we, we are in a day and an age where the family is being attacked, right? At every side, the family is being attacked. But God has a word for the family. And again, if you're in here and you're from a broken family and you, I do not want you to feel condemnation, there is grace. And where the ideal is lacking, God's grace abounds. Amen. It abounds. So we're, we, we, we read the Bible and we say, hey, that's not me. That's not my family. That's not me. But his grace is sufficient. 
Um, Deuteronomy 6, 7 to 8 says this. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and you shall talk of them when you sit in your house. This is the commands of God. This is about who God is. And when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. Philip Riken says adultery is treason against the family, and God hates it. Say that again. Adultery is treason against the family, and God hates it. So again, we're, we're going to get in. It feels like a lot of these Ten Commandments, right? We, we start, and it's like, whoa. Like God's law feels heavy, and we all feel somewhat convicted, but, but there's grace There's grace, people. Brothers and sisters, there is grace. Um, All right. So marriage, we're going to look at marriage before we get into the words of Christ. The Bible begins with a marriage. Adam and Eve. Eve is given to Adam, and they're united, and and God says they are one flesh. Adam and Eve is um, the, the beginning of the Bible in the book of Genesis, and the Bible ends with a marriage. The marriage supper of the Lamb. So the Bible is bookended by two marriages. And not only that, all throughout the Bible, God talks about his relationship with his people and him like a marriage. When Israel was faithless, the Lord uses marital language. Let's look at one of these instances. The prophet Jeremiah in a rebuke uh, to Israel. The Lord said to me in the days of King Hosiah, Have you seen what she did, that faithless one, Israel? How she went up on every high hill and under every green tree, and there played the whore? And I thought, after she has done all this, she will return to me. But she did not return, and her treacherous sister Judah saw it. She saw that for all the adulteries of the faithless one, Israel, I had sent her away with a decree of divorce. Yet her treacherous sister Judah did not fear, but she too went and played the whore. Because she took her whoredom lightly, she polluted the land, committing adultery with stone and tree. So this is, you're going to find this language all throughout the prophets, and it doesn't stop in the Old Testament. It continues in the New. So so the Bible begins with a marriage, it ends with a marriage, and there's marital language between God and his people all throughout the Bible. So if you look at this passage in Jeremiah, he's talking about, hey, you're committing adultery on the high hills. The high hills are where they were worshiping idols. So Israel take, or uh, yeah, the nation of Israel, they take over the, the land and, and the people in the land had all this idolatry going on and they're worshiping other gods on these hills. And Israel says, hey, that kind, kind of looks good. We can worship Yahweh on those hills too. And they combine their worship with the worship of the land. And here God says through Jeremiah, you're, you're playing the whore doing that. You're you're straying from me. This is not what I told you to do. I've given you principles and and you're to worship like this. 
Not like that. And he calls it adultery. Um, and, and, and again, even into the, the New Testament, um, 2 Corinthians 11 to the Apostle Paul says this, For I feel a divine jealous, jealousy for you, since I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. So church, if you're in here, and you're in Christ, and you're born again, and you know him, the language that's being used is you are the bride. You are the bride of Christ. He is your groom. And I know for for the dudes in here, that might be tough language, but the women have to deal with the the language of men, right? And like, hey, that means mankind. It doesn't mean just... Um, it's not excluding women. And, and yeah, this is something we have to, to get used to, men. We are the bride of Christ. He is the groom. Our culture right now is raging against marriage. Raging against how we would define marriage between one man and one woman. And there's... Christian churches all over the the landscape, even here in Syracuse, even not far from us, that are capitulating and and, and saying, okay, you know what? I guess we we can believe um, that marriage is not between a man and a woman. And there's Christians that that are um, maybe not thinking about it well, and they're saying, hey, well, what's, what's the harm but I want to, if you're in that position, and I know many of you are not, but I'm assuming in a crowd like this there are some who are. If you're in that position where you're like, hey, what's the big deal? Or maybe you're even more than that. You're like, I don't like what you're saying, Pastor. Um, I just want to, to impress on you that marriage is, is so incredibly strong in the Bible and we're going we're gonna to look at here, we're going to look at Paul's words from, in Ephesians in, in a moment, but it is so incredibly strong. And I just showed you, hey, God speaks to um, his relationship with his covenant people in terms of marriage, faithfulness, adultery, wed, it all. He uses marital language. It's a covenant. Marriage is a covenant. Marriage is a picture of the gospel. But marriage is so strong. And if we are to take that and say, it's something else. The gospel is at stake. You cannot be a Christian and say, I believe this. Now, let me backtrack. You can be a Christian and say that. It is not what the Bible teaches. A man and a man, or a woman and a woman, or a man with many wives or a woman with many husbands. The Bible teaches marriage is between a man and a woman, and it reflects the gospel. It's a gospel issue. It's that big. Let's read the Apostle Paul on it. Ephesians 5, 31 to 32. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. 
Paul starts Ephesians, this, this part of Ephesians, talking about how men are to lead their wives, wash their wives in the word, um, pursue their wives, and wives are to submit. And he ends it with, this is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Jesus and his people. So if you're in here, Christian, and you're married, your marriage reflects the gospel. And this isn't a sermon um, on that, and I'm not going to go that deep into that. Um, But a healthy marriage between a man and a woman shows Christ and the church. It is not a small thing. And the sexual union that happens in a marriage is meant only to happen in a covenant relationship. It's protected between a man who says, I will not leave you no matter what happens in in sickness and in health, and a woman who says, I'm here with you in sickness and in health. This isn't reflected between boyfriend and girlfriend. There's no covenant there. It's not reflected between um, husband and husband. Um, that's too, too masculine. No, it's a feminine masculine. There is something there showing the gospel, but um, I digress. We need to um, keep moving here. Sex is much bigger than feeling good. And now let's get to Jesus' words because he's going to take it right out he, outside of marriage and just start talking about all sexual immorality. All right, Matthew 5, 27 to 28. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So, so again, we, we've seen this, right? Jesus takes the, the Ten Commandments and, and he says, hey, the, the real thing that this was pointing to is a, is a heart issue. This wasn't just about you checking a box that you haven't done something. you got to check your heart. Sex before marriage, lustful looks, pornography, scrolling on social media. This is all in the seventh commandment condemned. No. So that's why I started by saying everyone in here, in some sense, has broken the seventh commandment. We're all guilty. We're all guilty. Uh, Ray Ortland says this about temptation. He says, we look at temptation and we think, that would make my life better. The Ten Commandments point towards Sodom and Gomorrah and warn us, you don't want to go there. Yet we look over at that barren wasteland and think, that must be our Garden of Eden. And off we go. So, so what Ortland's getting at is that the Ten Commandments are pointing to Sodom and Gomorrah because they're, they're negative, right? They're saying, you shouldn't murder, you shouldn't steal, you shouldn't commit adultery. Saying all those things, that's Sodom and Gomorrah, that's the burning city. They lead to death. All those sins lead to death. And he's saying, and this is the human heart, and we're all guilty here. Often we look at that and say, oh, but if I had that, my life would be better. Have you done this? Have you, have you do, are you in this right now? Are you doing it? Are you tempted by something? And, or are you in something that you know you shouldn't be doing and it's, um, you know you've got that still small voice of the Lord in you saying, hey, just turn from that. 
turn from that. I'm so much better than that. Sexual immorality in the Bible is elevated. And what do I mean by that? Well, number one, all sin, all sin, James says it it doesn't matter. You break one point of God's law, you're guilty, right? So all sin disallows us from having relationship with God. We can only have relationship through Jesus and his sacrifice. But not all sin has the same consequences. And sexual immorality is one that that I'm going to make the case today that the Bible takes it and elevates it up here. And, and, And here we go. You don't have to listen to my words. Let's listen to Paul. Paul says... Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body. But the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, but you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. That's an interesting sentiment. Have you ever thought about that? That you are not your own. Right? We live in a world right now that's saying, hey, we, um, it's the woman's body. It's her own. Don't tell her what she wants she can do with that body. But the Bible clearly says your body isn't your own. You were bought with a price. And the Holy Spirit, if you were a Christian, If you believe Jesus, you believe the gospel, that the Holy Spirit is dwelling within you, dwelling within you. And Paul's saying here, your body is a temple because God's presence dwelt in the temple in the Old Testament, and now God's presence dwells within you, and you are literally a walking temple. And he goes on to say, don't unite your body, who has the Holy Spirit of God. He says with a prostitute, but the, the, the big meaning is with anyone who is not your spouse. Often in Christian circles, I'll get the question, and you, you may be asking it, and I know I've often asked this in my life, like, hey, what is God's will for my life? Like, does he want me to, to go in that direction or that direction or take this job or do this? What, what is his will for my life? And um, did you know that, that God actually answers that question in his word? Did you know that? I, I can tell you his will for your life right now. 1 Thessalonians 4, 3 to 8. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. And then he goes on to say that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter, because the Lord is an avenger in all these things. As we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you, for God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. So, so again, if you're in here and, and maybe you don't like what I'm saying, and, 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 and it's not me, 
This is the word of God. He says, if you disregard this, you're not disregarding man. You're disregarding God. This is so clear, brothers and sisters, in the scriptures. As a pastor over the last few years, I've kind of developed a working theory um, in my own mind that, that men and women, and in my experience is mostly talking with men um, in and outside of the church, um, that when men get caught up in sins of, of the flesh, like pornography and, and lust, and, and that, that they become so blind they can't see anything else in their life. So I, I truly believe that, that, again, sexual immorality, we have Paul here saying two times, like, hey, this is big, guys. Um, everything else you do is, is outside of the body. This one is big. And then he says, hey, you want to know God's will for your life? Let's start here. Um, sanctification and sexual immorality. Like, that's the baseline. And I think if we're not there, everything else that you want and need from God and you want to hear from him, you're going to be struggling to hear. There is a certain darkness in giving yourself to this sin. Okay, But it's not bad news, brothers and sisters. There is, there is grace upon grace upon grace. In 400 AD, there was a, uh, a monk pastor uh, named Augustine of Hippo. Um, he has a book called Confessions, and it's basically a prayer to God. It's like a journal prayer. It's a really, really good book. If you are a reader, I would recommend it. Um, but Augustine struggled with lust badly. He wrestled with lust. In fact, he says, I went to Carthage where I found myself in the midst of a hissing cauldron of lust. And he gave himself to it. He gave himself to lust, and some of you in here might be giving yourself to, to lust right now. And at one point, he says, my real need was for you, my God, who are the food of the soul. So he says that, that real, that desire uh, in him that was ugly and, and just chasing after um, women in, in, in an unclean way, he's like, now that I look back on that, that desire was for you, God. It was a twisted desire. We're gonna, I'm going to end with, with talking about how that desire gets um, twisted. But so Augustine wrestled with this, and it held him back. He wanted to, to be in the church. He wanted to um, fully enter in, but he knew. He's like, I got this thing in my life, and, and I can't be consumed with lust and be in the church because he was honest enough to read the Bible and say, the two don't go together. And he had this moment of conversion. And he's wrestling. And some of you probably know the story if you've read him. Uh, he's, he's in this garden and, and he's just wrestling with it, with his lust. He's wrestling with the devils in his head. And he, was, he says, I was dying a death that would bring me life. I was frantic, overcome by violent anger with myself for not accepting your will, so your here is God, and entering into your covenant. I tore my hair and hammered my forehead with my fists. I locked my fingers and hugged my knees. They plucked at my garment of flesh and whispered, are you going to dismiss us? From this moment, 
we shall never be with you again forever and ever. So he describes this moment where there's these devil-type voices in his head, his lust, and saying, hey, if you go in this route, St. Augustine, if you give your life to God, you can't have us. You can't have um, uh, this this life that you are living, this, this lustful life. And I would just ask this morning, and, and again, I, I know we're all in, in different places in, in our walk, but where are you at with this? Where are you at with this? Um, maybe you're in here and you're not a believer, and you're like, hey, I, I don't really, um, I'm just kind of wrestling through this, and I, I don't know why I'm here. Someone invited me, and I'm kind of working through this, and, and maybe you're, you're, you, you've got this in your life. Um, and I would just tell you, the Lord wants you to you, you put it to death. Repent, like Chris said, repent and believe the gospel, that Jesus Christ came and lived the life that you couldn't live. He kept the law perfectly that you've transgressed. He died on the cross and took the wrath of God that you deserved and was raised to life for your justification. That's the gospel. Repent and believe it. If you don't believe it, you're still in your sin. But for the Christian, um, when you come to Christ, you're, you're, you're not like automatically like, hey, all my, my, uh, my lusts and my anger and all that went away. You, you're, you're being sanctified. It's a, a process. So you're going to have temptations. You're going to have struggles. And if you're in here and, and you're a believer and you're, you're flirting with temptation, like you're looking again towards um, Sodom and Gomorrah and saying, huh, that, that kind of looks like Eden to me. That kind of looks good. You've got to put it to death. Paul says, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. And he also says that he'll provide a way of escape when you're tempted. Wait on the Lord. So if you're in here flirting with temptation, wait on the Lord. And you might be in here and you might be thinking, I don't even think anything's wrong with this. In fact, Pastor, I think most of what you're saying is just religion and, and it's made up in, in, in the Bible um, and you don't think it's wrong. Or maybe you're in here and, and you call yourself a believer and you still don't think it's wrong. Um, you know, we're capable of some pretty crazy things. We can twist and turn the scriptures to, to our making. But um, if that's you, if you're in here and, and confess the name of Christ, and, and you're just like, hey, giving yourself to this, and, and you don't think it's wrong, you're not wrestling with it, you're not trying to repent, you're not, you're not in the battle, I would just say first, uh, uh, the Apostle John has some words for you. These are not my words. These are John's words. And by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. There's a lot of scripture just like that. Brothers and sisters, God is not going to stand idly by as you walk sin down the aisle and clap for you. That's not the God of the Bible. That's a God of your own making. That's a God of your imagination. The God of the Bible hates sin. 
And yes, he provides the sacrifice for our sin, and there's grace upon grace, but there isn't room for us as believers to say, I know the Bible says that, but I'm going to do it anyway. And granted, that, that could be a time, and, and God says, nope, you're coming, you're coming back, but if you persist in that, there are not good words for that situation. And finally, if you're in the midst of this and you're in here and you're struggling to break the pattern and you're trying to repent from your sin and you don't like this sin in your life and you know it's wrong and you confess Christ and you keep messing up, what I would say to you is lust, adultery, it's not an unforgivable sin. It's not the unforgivable sin. Stop, confess, and rejoice. The Romans 8, 1 to 2 says, there is, now, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. If you are in Christ and you're feeling condemned, you shouldn't. There is grace for those who are in Christ Jesus. He goes on to say, for the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Brothers and sisters, you have been set free. Don't walk in sin anymore. Yes, you, you're going to mess up. You're going to sin. But there is a difference between sinning by, by just going about your life or the, the Bible calls it the high-handed sin. I'm going to do it anyway. I know your word says this, but I'm going to do it anyway. Look to the cross, confess, and repent. So way back in the beginning of the Bible, in the Garden of Eden, Satan, the accuser of the brethren, came to Eve, and he took what God had said, and he took what God had made, and he twisted it all and he said, that tree right there, the one that he told you, you, you don't need to, or that you can't eat from, you can eat from it. Oh, he, he told you when you eat from that tree that you're going to die. Oh, you won't die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Are you familiar with this voice in your life? Did God really say that? No, he didn't really say that. But that doesn't quite mean that. I can have that. See, what Satan does in the garden still happens in, in all of our walks today, and that's the, that the word of God gets twisted. And it gets twisted in a way where, where it's like, hey, God is for you. We're going to sing a song about God being for you, and he is for you. The Bible says if you are in Christ, he is for you. But we kind of get... To, to this place where it's like, oh, he's, he's against me. He doesn't want good for me. I, I, he doesn't want that for me. I, I, I need to go and get it on my own. And we take that, that gift that is for good, to, meant to be, um, let's talk about sex for a moment, sex that's meant to be in a covenant relationship between a man and a woman, and it's twisted. It's twisted, and it's used for something that was never meant to be used Four, and we need to put it to death. We need to put it to death. 
So maybe you're in here this morning and you're wrapped up in something. The time is now. Put it, put it to death. Just put it to death. When God calls us to put something to death that is sin, it's not like we just lose that thing. He actually gives us something. Blessings increase. Blessings increased. Increase. Peter says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, people for his own possession that you may Proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness. He's called you out of darkness. But he doesn't just call you out of darkness and leave you there. Calls you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Following God, saying yes to God, obeying God is a marvelous light. And again, maybe you're here and you're, you're just not a Christian and, and you're wrestling with, uh, what is this? All about, or maybe you're like Augustine, and, and the reason you're not a Christian is because you've got your, your sins and you know, hey, that doesn't comport with Christianity. I can't have Christianity and pornography 24 7, seven days a week. They don't work together. And maybe that's you. And, and when you look at Christianity, all you think is, hey, these Christians are really just sour people. They don't like to, to dance, they don't do this, they don't do that. They're all about what they don't do, they're not fun people. And I would just say to you that you need to just repent, believe in the gospel, and believe Jesus' words when he says, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. He has the very words of life. All this other stuff that you're playing around in is a puddle of mud. His words are the words of life. If you're in here and, and, and that's new to you and you want to talk and, and pray after, talk to me, talk to Steve. We'd love to talk to you. We'd love to, to pray with you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you as a, as a body of believers this morning, knowing that all of us are guilty of violating your commandments. There's no one in here that's not guilty. I pray for those in here who have felt the sting of your law. I pray that they can turn their eyes not to Sodom and Gomorrah, but turn them to the cross. And remember that that bloody death on the cross was for them. Or maybe they're looking for the first time today and saying, I need that. So I pray for, for those in here who need the gospel. I pray that they will turn to Christ. And for those of us who are in here and believe the gospel, just help us to remember, Lord, you're a good God. You are for us. Your face shines upon us. We are yours and you are ours. We thank you, Lord. We thank you that we get to gather this morning and just sing and worship you and we thank you for the baptisms that we're about to, to see and hear, testimonies of how you've moved in people's lives. Lord, you are a God who saves, and we love you. We pray this in your name. Amen. Thanks for tuning in with us. We hope that you found this sermon edifying, encouraging, and challenging. To learn more about Vintage Faith Church, visit vintagefaithcicero.com. And of course, if you live in the area, we invite you to worship the Lord with us on Sunday mornings.